This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Bossy Pants by comedian Tina Fey. Fey's story is a great example of a woman who goes after what she wants and gets it, albeit with pitfalls and humor along the way. That's Bossy Pants, available from Audible. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, uh, we talked about Gloria Steinem's call for a boycott of the Playboy Club Mm -hmm. last time, which ended up getting canned, as, as many of you know. Um, but she's not the only one who had a bone to pick with television shows this fall. There was so much coverage of the, uh, the gender dynamics of the fall lineup on television that I almost, I almost got sick of reading about <laughs> it, which was kind of strange. Yeah. It seems like everybody is the focus of, of this uproar, mm-hmm. this, the, all this attention that's being put on fall TV is not whether shows are good or bad necessarily. It's, we're not getting guides on what you should watch and what you should ignore. It's more guides to, uh, gender roles yeah. on television shows this fall and how they're changing, how women are being perceived differently and portrayed differently and how men's roles on television are seem to be changing also. Right. And um, since this podcast episode will probably be around, I would predict, a lot longer than a lot of the sitcoms <laughs> that are being rolled out this fall on network television, um, we're going to talk about, obviously, about these new shows, but but more about kind of the, the evolution of these characters and also some classic female characters who um, creators really got right, you know, who gave mm-hmm. uh, women on TV um, some accurate and hilarious and dramatic and wise portrayals. Right. And unfortunately, on the, on the downside, well, well, there are a lot of good characters out there and we'll, we'll talk about some, some of our favorite characters from the past mm-hmm. too. Um, there's actually been a decline in roles for women behind the camera. Yes. So while it seems like there are a whole bunch of new shows this fall that focus on women, it seems like the roles while they might be up overall from mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago, they seem to be 
declining in the last couple of years. Right. And that's kind of the surprising thing, because a lot of these trend stories about fall television um, really focused on the fact that uh, there were these female producers behind shows like Whitney and Two Broke Girls mm-hmm. and The New Girl, um, whereas uh, Martha Lousen at the Center for the Study of Women on TV and Film um, says that women, like you said, Caroline, the number of them behind the scenes is dropping. Um, women held 25% of all jobs behind the scenes on TV last season, and that's down from 27%. Um, in the season before that, uh, mm-hmm. 84% of the programs uh, she analyzed employed no women writers um, and women created only 18% of the show. So while a lot of these fall TV shows are getting headlines for exploring these gender dynamics, a lot of times they are being written and produced by dudes, which there's nothing wrong. Not to say the guys can't talk about gender, but at the same time, if we're saying that this is a, you know, a home run for women in television, not necessarily the case. Right. And it's interesting because with the sheer number of men writing, you would think that the portrayals of men would be better, <laughs> maybe. But there's actually been several articles that I've seen, you know, in Entertainment Weekly or New York Magazine about the the sad men shows the, mm-hmm. the the bitterness and every all the anger it seems like a lot of male characters this fall are trying to reclaim some sense of idealized manhood although i don't know where it went <laughs> and where they're trying to get it back from <laughs> well i mean the the funniest anecdote um that i heard about how a lot of these shows were created and we're talking about shows like tim allen's last man standing man up um, and Kevin Dillon's How to Be a Gentleman. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I heard Hannah Rosen, who is a writer for The Atlantic, saying that, um, she was told that a number of male writers actually took her article, um, The End of Men, which uh, came out, I think it was in 2010 in The Atlantic. And I mean, it was just this, this huge article about how, um, men's roles are basically thanks to the recession are going through this massive shakeup and women are kind of rising in the ranks um, in the meantime. And she was saying that she heard that guys were taking her article into the TV, like creation rooms, what, TV Dude. creation rooms, these <laughs> magical, magical rooms. The conception room. <laughs> yes. And, but they were using this article as, as their pitch these shows saying, mm-hmm. hey, look, you know, like the demise of men, the demise of to, men. Let's call reclaim. let's call Tim Allen. <laughs> Get him on yeah, the case. Make, make that barking noise. <laughs> so a post on the Vulture, a New York magazine blog, <laughs> the title of it is the men of the new false sitcoms would hate the women of the false sitcoms. <laughs> so I think we should talk about we should move over and talk about some of the, the female characters that are on TV this fall. Yeah, I think we've got to talk about Whitney Cummings, mm-hmm. um, who not only stars in the sitcom, which just uh, was renewed, I guess, for a full season, mm-hmm. made the initial cut. Um, she stars in Whitney, and then she's also the, I think, the producer? I think of, she's the co-creator. Or the co-creator of Two Broke Girls. Yeah. Um, and I... <laughs> You know, she, she, her whole, her whole shtick is that she's this very brash, outspoken, uh, foul mouthed woman. Mm-hmm. And she, in her, in Whitney, at least, she has this kind of, uh, you know, quieter, more saltine <laughs> boyfriend. And I tried, you know, I tried 
I tried. <laughs> I tried to watch it, but it was just kind of obvious that um, instead of creating maybe these more realistic and, yes, funny and outspoken female characters, mm-hmm. they just tried to insert as much um, just masculine humor, I guess, it, like always having to use balls as a, yeah. as a punchline. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why they're doing it. Um, maybe <laughs> it's like trying to reclaim again, like the men are trying to reclaim masculinity, but maybe the women are trying to stake a claim. Like we can be, we can be tough too. We don't have to be pretty be, little yeah. cookies. We can be, well, know. we can be pretty, but we can also be crude. And I've seen that, um, phrase as the, the bridesmaids effect as in right. bridesmaids, the movie, which was hilarious. And mm-hmm. yes, it was, um, crass in the same way that something like The Hangover, um, is crass. And it brought in a ton of money and it was great. And Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if it becomes, you know, this knee jerk co- type of comedy that women have to do, it's not going to be that funny. Right. The Washington Times sort of says something along those lines. Um, It actually says, if the fall TV season is any guide, the sexual revolution that was supposed to liberate men and women from traditional sex roles seems to have resulted instead in a straight up role reversal, Mm -hmm. basically saying that these the men are just portrayed as these messes who need women to tell them what to do, how to dress, go get a job where their female counterparts seem to be acting as the chauvinist pigs in this scenario. Unless we're talking about one sitcom. Mm -hmm. Um new girl the new girl we got to talk about it i don't i don't want to harp on it um because i think we're gonna you know i'll be interested to know what listeners think about uh zoe de chanel's new show mm-hmm. the new girl she's adorable oh god yeah okay so she, she was asked during some promotional press thing before the show started when did you first realize you were adorable? And she is adorable. Anyone who's not familiar with Zoe Deschanel, she's adorable. I mean, she she helped found a site called Hello Giggles. You know, she's in um, awesome uh, duo She and Him. Oh yes, yeah, no, I've, I've seen She and Him, and she has I, beautiful I, voice. I think they're great. They're they're great. They do they do lovely things. She has excellent taste in vintage and uh, and. But and Kristen, I, I noticed you're not really commenting on her her acting in this episode or this show. Well, you know, I I saw it and um and I watched the whole thing. It was far more palatable than Whitney. Um, she sort of represents the uh, I guess the sweetie pie alter ego <laughs> of Whitney, whereas Whitney is like, I'm going to sleep with a lot and be brash like a dude and shave my upper lip. Oh. Um, yeah. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, she does that in the show. It, that that actually got the biggest laugh. Out of me. Well, it's kind of, um, let's, instead of you and I, uh, just <laughs> griping about this, sure. let's, let's pin it on, let's pin the blame on someone else. Okay. Yeah, good idea. I got to call out Julie Klossner, mm-hmm. um, who is fantastic. Um, she wrote the book, I Don't Care About Your Band, um, and is a <laughs> hilarious comedian. And she wrote this, um, blog post recently called Don't Fear the Dowager, a Valentine to Maturity. And it was sort of going off on the, that brand of Zoe Deschanel, like femininity that's mm-hmm. kind of going around that I, like I said, is at the opposite end of the spectrum, the, the bridesmaids spectrum. So she writes, um, and despite the facade of clickishness and female friendship and the Romeo and Michelle-ness of gal pal fun times, let's be real. We all know these manic pixie Muppet babies are really just <laughs> in it 
for the boys. And instead of acting like a woman who might remind a skittish bro more of his teacher or his mother, we're going for the twee anime-eyed version of whatever dream girl we assume they want or need. And that's, I mean, that's an incredibly harsh assessment. But, you know, it seems like on television today, these are the new women we're being served up. Right. Well, the kind of crotch grabbers or the <laughs> cupcake makers. Right. Oh. Hmm, interesting cupcakes. I uh, well, you know, she's not the only one who who kind of dismisses Zoe Deschanel's character and the show. Hank Stuver of the Washington Post calls Zoe Deschanel at age thirty-two twee and says that she's too old to be acting like this. As are the guys on the show who are the ones making room in their lives for this. Um, totally whacked out <laughs> female character. Oh man, so many people are are gonna write in saying like hating us for I know. Not, not loving not loving her entirely. But just remember all the nice things that we said before we critiqued just her show, not her as a person. But let's stop griping. Yeah. Um let's talk about maybe some some good things that are going on because I think that uh yeah maybe maybe the new TV we're we're being served up is not is not so great for women or for men. I mean, I think men are the ones who are looking the worst on screen these days. But it's not to say that we don't have um, a, a rich stable of solid female characters yeah. to draw on. Yeah. Like uh, one one actress getting a lot of attention this fall for her, her good skills with a Z is Claire Dane. She stars in the new show Homeland. And the New York Times says she does a great job of playing an intelligent, high-strung woman. And uh, <laughs> I saw, actually, I think it was on the New York Magazine Vulture blog asking uh-huh. whether or not this Claire Danes character is just a grown-up version of Angela Chase. Oh, interesting. From my so-called life. Well, I just, you know, you got to love Claire Danes because I feel like she picks really intelligent characters to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's always going to be... I- I know she probably hates this, but she's always going to be Angela Chase, which, which is another great character. I mean, yeah, and, you Angela know, Chase was fantastic. Yeah, it was it was a realistic show and that gave a character that we could all relate to. And it was something that was able to um, maybe portray those sort of stereotypical as- aspects of adolescent girlhood, mm-hmm. but not in a in a trite kind of way. It right. Not something that to. could be wrapped up in a half an hour sitcom, you know, right. with Danny Tanner. Telling everybody that it's okay at the end. <laughs> and I, w- I would just like to go ahead and list some of my other favorite female characters. Not all of them are necessarily new to TV this fall, but uh, Mariska Hargitay yeah. from Law and Order. I love her. I love her. And I love her character. I think she's mm-hmm. great. Um, and Katie Seagal. She's in Sons of Anarchy, which is a more recent show. But let us not forget my- the inspiration for my Halloween costume last year. She is the voice of Leela on Futurama, who is also... Hey, an awesome character. Um, and then we, I mean, thank God for Tina Fey and Amy Poehler with yeah, 30 Rock absolutely. and Parks and Rec. Um, and you know, one thing that we have not mentioned though are all of these sort of, uh, either retro recreations with Charlie's Angels. Right. And then the now defunct Playboy Club and Pan Am, mm-hmm. which are sort of in this, uh, this middle place between these, you know, between the new girl and Whitney, you have these, these, retro glorifications. Right. Um, Stuver, going back to the the guy at the Washington Post, um, he criticizes these shows. He says that in times of recession, 
you know, in times of uncertainty, we're going back. And it's kind of along the lines of what Gloria Steinem said about Playboy, the the Playboy Club, that we're just sort of living in this nostalgia Mm -hmm. for some easier, better time. When really, there was nothing easier or better about it. We're just, we're all having a rough time right now. So we want to enjoy ourselves in the escapism of television. But in the process, we're sort of glossing over maybe things that weren't so great. You know, I'm sure... You know, flight attendants didn't have that easy of a time, but this is, <laughs> this show makes it seem like, woo, glamorous. Being yeah. a flight attendant all the time. And I mean, and I can, I can understand what, what they're saying about, um, because it, that is the other thing with all of this coverage is everyone c- constantly goes back to the recession because mm-hmm. they link the recession to this gender shakeup, to this man crisis, to now all of these shows on television that are you know, demonstrating this type of role reversal that may or may not actually be going on. Right. Um, but you know, I really just miss the days of the, of the Huxtables because Claire oh. Huxtable, I think is the coolest woman who's ever been on television. She is. What other family do you know would choreograph a dance and song routine to a Ray Charles song? When they came down the stairs and they were all singing and Rudy was, oh, God, I love that family. And while I realize that we we kind of have been all over the place and we've only mentioned Claire Huxtable as, as an, as an, and Angela Chase um, as awesome longtime TV characters. Um, and I would welcome anyone else to, to send in more names because there are so many that we just don't have time to go over. <coughs> Murphy Brown. Oh, God, um, love. But we haven't really talked about reality television and... Um, if anyone is, hasn't heard of her before, I highly recommend you checking out the research of Jennifer Posner, who is the founder and executive director of Women in Media and News. And she's also the author of the book Reality Bites Back that looks at how the reality TV phenomenon um, is not only putting our consumer culture on just steroids, but mm-hmm. also offering these warped views of, of women as well. Right. Women and uh, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, she, as far as just generally <laughs> alarming television, she cites America's Next Top Model, mm-hmm. which, of course, a giant product placement company promoting kind of show that focuses on body issues. You can be an empowered woman if you weigh seven pounds. Right. Um, and the, the show that she cites is actually being the most alarming for women of color is Flavor of Love, which she said actually sort of shifted the representation of people of color in the reality landscape, but not necessarily in a good way. Right, because it was just incredibly misogynistic and also reinforced racial stereotypes right? constantly. And that was one thing, too, that came um, that came up as we were looking at all of this, this media coverage of, oh, women on television, women on television. Well, what about women of color on television or just, you know, people of color in general right. on TV, maybe... That's even more of a, um, you know, of an issue that should be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Posner does offer a few suggestions for watching TV critically because whether or not you are a fan of Zoe Chanel doesn't matter so much. You know, it's, it's different tastes for different people. But in terms of just watching TV critically to, um, evaluate the types of gendered messages that it's sending, uh, Posner recommends Things like looking out for framing, like the the narrative messages of shows, like who is um, who narrates the show? How is it 
what perspective does it revolve around? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the racial dynamic of the show? Um, is it realistic? Think about exclusion as well. Age, gender, ethnicity, appearance, sexual orientation, profession. Again, like how, how inclusive are these shows, whether they're reality or they're scripted? Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully to end on a, on a hopeful note. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that eventually the numbers improve. Across the board, mm-hmm. behind behind the camera, in front of the camera. I mean, I know we have a lot of women on TV this fall. Maybe we can eventually get some better representations, yeah, too. But um, you know, right now at the CW, according to Martha Lausen's numbers, um, the CW has twenty eight percent of their people behind the scenes are women. And that sounds really pitiful, but that's the most. That's the most. At any of these, uh, networks between the CW, CW and ABC, I'm sorry, actually have 28%, followed by CBS at 26, 22%, NBC and 18% at Fox. So good for the CW for having more women, but hopefully that can improve. But finger shake to the TV industry for, not rectifying <laughs> those numbers sooner because, you know, it definitely does seem like if we want to change things on screen, you got to change things off screen. And let's just hope that it is not a media trend in the future for women to be on TV, producing TV, writing TV. So I think that's all we have to say. And again, uh, don't hate us for not loving the new girl. It's just I know. I'm sorry. Something. Like I would totally see her again if she and, him came through town, mm-hmm. her band. And I, and I have her, her glasses too. So, I mean, that's, well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, by the way, that's Kristen's Zoe Deschanel impression. It's good. No, I like it. All right. Well, on that note, uh, send us your emails. I can't wait to read them. Momstuffathowstuffworks.com is the address. And I've got a quick email here from Kayla. And she actually has a, what she calls a funny and romantic pickup artist story. Um, she said that she read the game and listened to the podcast and she was joking to her boyfriend that she would never fall for a guy like that. And he said, oh, well, actually, that did work on you. I was dumbfounded. And he explained to me that when we first started talking at a Halloween party, I commented on his interesting ring and he handed it to me to admire and hold on to for a while. He later asked for and received my number. I realized that I was wrong in my analysis of the pickup artist style and that it can be like, quote unquote, chick crack. And that out of context, some of the pickup artist techniques may seem ridiculous, but lo and behold, they actually work. And I am thankful for it. Hmm. Well, I have this message from Shauna. She said that she found our comments on the difference in single culture on the opposite sides of the Atlantic interesting. I crossed the ocean a few years ago and happened to find love in Sweden. I'm really not interested in getting married ever. This works out great for me in Sweden because, as you pointed out, marriage really is not a priority even when there are children involved. I've been with my Swedish man for a while now, and I find that my friends from the States, most of whom are married with children already, will sporadically message me to ask things like, is he the one? Have you picked out a ring yet? Lots of question marks. (laughs) Um... While it's charming that they are thinking of me, it's quite difficult to respond without violating my own values or my friend's values. Most times, I think my response sounds like we're together for now, but we're not that into each other, which couldn't be further from the truth. 
She goes on to explain some words in Swedish for different types of relationships, which yeah, I think I is interesting. Is cool. um, the Swedish language actually accommodates different types of relationships nicely. Aside from the boyfriend-girlfriend category for single people, there is also sambo and sarbo. Sambo is a mashing of the words for together and living, which means you're in a serious relationship and living together. Sarbo is a mashing of words for apart and living, which means you're in a serious relationship and living apart. I am thankful that I have the ability to introduce my boyfriend as my Sambo, even when I'm speaking in English to Swedish speakers, as I feel it more precisely conveys the nature of our relationship. Every time I get another email from a friend saying they want an invite to my assumed future wedding, I wish English had a similar category. Yeah, there should be something between boyfriend and partner, yeah. husband. It's maybe a little more descriptive. And I want to say that someone, a listener on Twitter, mentioned that German has a similar, um, a similar categorization as well. Hmm. Um, so anyway, emails momstuff at howstuffworks dot com. Head over to Facebook too. Like us, leave a comment, all that jazz. Follow us on Twitter too, if you like at momstuffpodcast. And then read our blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.